Hello, I'm Matt Quinn. Thanks for joining us for Decision Point from Ivy Publishing at the Ivy Business School. Today we sit down with Simon Greathead, Associate Professor, Global Business at Brigham Young University's Marriott School of Business. Simon takes us through his award-winning Traeger Pellet Grills case. The case addresses the complexities associated with managing an international supply chain, cross-culture negotiation, meeting the needs of various stakeholders in a supply chain, and how to respond to unethical business partner behavior. Additionally, Simon shares insights on the three elements contained in a great case, writing great cases with multiple themes, allowing students to drive case discussion, building trusted relationships, and his approach to influencing students. Enjoy. Simon, thanks very much for joining us today. And I want to start with, you You know, your case, Traeger Pellet Grills, Cooking Up the Competition, won the 2020 EFMD Case Writing Competition in the Supply Chain category. Why did you write it? What was the genesis of this? And why do you think that the case was so well received? Well, first of all, thanks for having me uh, on, Matt. Um, maybe I can just back into the question a little bit and answer the question why... Um, sort of why I, I write cases and what makes just a good case right before I get into the, the Traeger case. Sure. So I gave, I gave some thought to this question. Hopefully this helps uh, case writers, people who would like to get into writing cases. And I think really it's, it's sort of the alignment of three stars of thought. The first is there's a need in the marketplace, meaning there are organizations out there wrestling with these issues, <clears throat> significant issues and organizations that we all know about, right? The big names. Second, that, that there is someone in my circle of influence who has experience in this area, someone who I can pick their brain, someone who will really share intimate details of an, of an issue. And then the last thing is that uh, there is a student interest in this company, in this idea, and in this area. So as I think about case writing, it really is the alignment of these three stars. There is a marketplace need. There is someone whom I can, well, so first of all, at the Marriott School of Business, uh, we are fortunate to have a lot of great relationships with professionals uh, in the workplace. Uh, many of them do come to the university and they're guest lecturers. Uh, companies that are interesting, sort of the Amazons and the Boeings of the world and the Toyotas of the world and the GEs and, and the Fords and, and the SpaceX, right? Um, I mean, very interesting to our students. And so I often ask them, what are the current uh, issues that you are wrestling with? And as they come to, to the Marriott School and as they guest lecture, I sort of just keep a mental note on who are these individuals? What companies do they work for? And what issues are they wrestling with? And then going back to those three stars aligning, I, I try and find a guest lecturer with a story that would be interesting for students. Another reason is I realize that my students will be wrestling with very similar issues soon. When they graduate, the issues that the individuals wrestle with in the case, my students will be wrestling with. So I really often write cases to meet a need in the marketplace and therefore a classroom need. 
And, you know, just kind of going back to those three stars, that's, that's what we see, you know, what makes a, a really great selling case. And it's not always about sales, but that timeliness, the newsworthiness, the, you know, recognizable company, you know, those are all things that we're seeing from the publisher side of it. So it's great that you're that you're kind of taking that approach as well as an author. Now, has your approach changed since when you first started uh, writing cases to to today? Has this evolved or these things that you've picked up along the way? Yeah, yeah. Another, another great question, Matt. And, and I'd say certainly uh, it, it's evolved. I'd say it's primarily evolved through sort of this iterative process of of nailing then scaling, right? So so when we talk about these three stars, they, they are significant, right? Mm -hmm. my, my articulation of uh, student interest, case origin, and marketplace need, these have come over, I mean, the last, what, decade and a half that I've been writing cases, uh, trying to articulate what makes a great case. And, and these are those sort of three three stars that align um, to make a, a great case. So I would say, how, how, is, how, how have I come to that? It really has been this iteration of creating pretty good cases, but having pieces missing. And I think at this point, I now know what are those three elements that drive a really good case from a student perspective, from a resource perspective, the case origin, and the marketplace need. Yeah, and that's one thing, you know, you're talking about where the case idea could come from. I love that you've mentioned, you know, you've got connections through the school. You know, other people that we've had as guests on the podcast talk about, you know, maybe it's a student has a connection or something that comes out of research uh, or an alum of the school. So, you know, thanks for reminding us to keep our eyes open, uh, you know, in our institutions for places where these stories can come from. It doesn't have to be just your idea. It can come from lots of different places. So keeping eyes open and ears open for, for new ideas. Yeah. You, you know, I'd like to, to dive a little bit into the case because there's a lot of nuanced parts to this. And, and that's one of the reasons I like this case is you can, you can tackle it from many different angles. You know, there's, you know, managing an international supply chain, how culture and negotiation work in, in the context of su supply management, but also the context of, you know, the part of the world that you're in, you know, the needs of stakeholders in a supply chain. You know, did you know about all these issues being present before you started writing the case or did they boil up as you were uh, uh, working on, on the narrative and writing it? Yeah, it, it, it becomes a challenge, right, when you have such a rich case with so many um, impressive topics. Uh, like, like you brought up, uh, you've got international supply chain, you've got culture and negotiation, you've got strategy, uh, you've got how to respond to unethical behavior by a, by a supply partner. So the question is, is, is what, uh, what direction do you go with a case? Because mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's challenging to go all four or five directions. So I would say um, that there are sort of key themes and then there are sub-themes. Mm -hmm. And and most business, especially international business uh, transactions and relationships, tend to be multi-layered, right? That you've got sort of your main issue and then you've got these sub-issues. So I would say the main issue is unethical behavior by a supplier. But then you layer on that these cultural nuances that students have to be aware of. I mean, it's great to have a second language, but my argument is 
culture is a language of business. And if you don't speak the, the language of culture in an international setting, you're going to find yourself in, in, in trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes culture matters a lot, sometimes not at all, right? But but sometimes it does matter a lot. Um, so 75% of students in the Marriott School speak a second language here at BYU. So wow. I, I was well aware that, and a lot of that has to do with um, the sponsoring organization of BYU, which is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And we, we see those Mormon missionaries on the streets, right, with their name tags. 75% of our students speak a second language because they, they go on their missions uh, abroad. So I thought um, these students generally like international contexts. And I think I think undergraduate students in general and graduate students like international contexts. So that was the first thing that was on my mind as I thought about this case. The second is, what are the skills needed to conduct business effectively across national borders? These really are skills like negotiation, conflict resolution, decision theory, and and these all play into what businesses are looking for. I'd also say um, I knew going into the case that there was a lot there, Matt, but it's not until you put pen to paper that you realize just how much and how rich this could be. So the the, the last part of your question was, so what direction do you take it? Do I focus on negotiating, strategy, strategy? To some degree, students want to determine what emphasis that should be and what the solutions should be. So I've written it in such a way that the students are allowed to sort of delve down some of these rabbit holes. Yeah, things that are interesting to them. And and that's something that I've learned, again, over the years of being a teacher is that you really need to find what are the passions of the students? What, what's been their experience in their life? What's their perception of what they've experienced in their life and how does that relate to the case? And so I tend to really open that up to a very rich discussion for the students and then and then towards the end, bring it back to, now the key issue here is how do you deal with a supplier who is who is being unethical? Yeah, I sort of open it up and then and then I bring it, bring it back. Yeah, I like how you, you know, kind of say which rabbit hole. So I can imagine that depending on the cohort, uh, the year, the the makeup of the, the classroom setting, that how you teach it today and how you teach it six months from now can really vary. And, and you know, how do you how do you get comfortable with that? Is it just, you know, letting go and letting the uh, the students is, is it about you letting go and not directing as much in the classroom and, and allowing for that flow to dictate? You know, I can imagine that it might be challenging for some to, to let go and let the case be taught in different ways as you go. Yeah, a couple of thoughts on that, Matt. Um, I, I try to take at least, at least one class a semester myself. So I know what it's like to be a student. and And what I've realized time and time again is, we need to let students breathe in the classroom. And when I say breathe, we need to let them think and then share. And I put a pause there for a reason, that, that whether, whether you're an international student has a second language, it takes a little more time often to, to, in your mind, okay, I've got to translate it from English into my home language, then I've got to think about the question and respond. So I think as a teacher, I, I like to give students time to breathe to think about questions and then let it just open up. Something I've, I've realized is students can also learn from students. It's, it's not just the professor. It's not just the material in the case. It's that students can learn from students. And so 
number one, I, I try to let the students breathe, give, give space for stu student discussion. And I do that because I take a class each semester and I realize the power of, of allowing a student to have voice in the classroom. It seems to me, and it really, the, the word that I just wrote down here is facilitator. You're facilitating this, uh, this almost like breath work in the class, allowing the ideas to come up, allowing the students to stop and get comfortable with pausing and, and thinking and thinking about their responses. You know, with that, you know, happening in the classroom, have there been any, you know, moments that stand out for you, surprises about things that students have brought up, experience with with the case and maybe a, a particular student that has a, as a background? Um, you know, you mentioned different languages, different cultures, anything stand out to you that you went, wow, this is really, uh, you know, I got to bookmark that experience because it was it was so powerful for you and the teaching. Yeah, I'd say there's a couple. Uh the first happened last year where uh, a student um, who I believe was a family member owned a business and did a lot of business in China. And essentially they were wrestling with a similar issue in, in their business, oh, wow. in their company. And, 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 and so this case was a huge sort of um, light bulb going off. And, and extremely helpful. And uh, he shared this case. I believe it was his father. It may have been his uncle. I don't want to misspeak there, but a, a close family member, of course. And so, and so the material from the case really not just helped him, but the family business think carefully and methodically and strategically about what are the consequences of cutting off a, a supplier that supplies you with 50% of your grills, right? Um, and that would be the sort of second aha mat that, that I generally get from most students, which is if I say to students, this supplier is acting unethically, they are taking your product, putting their name on it and selling it through uh, distribution channels back in the US. Um, they're competing with your customers in many respects, maybe on the fringe, not, not completely. I think there is a difference between Traeger customers and, and the knockoff customers, but mm -hmm. essentially they're competing and, and they are being unethical in, in their practice. Uh, what do you do? And of course the students initially say, well, you cut them off, you cut the supplier off, <laughs> right? You can't have that. Now, the problem with that is if you were to cut that supplier off, you would also cut off your Costco's, your Ace Hardware's, your, your Home Depot's. You would then cut off your own revenue stream and therefore threaten the, the mere existence of your own company, um, the very existence of your own company. So, I mean, th this fascinating wrestle that students have initially thinking, I've got the answer, but then they don't. They are very wrong. And if they were to do that, they would they would sort of implode. They destroy their own company. So that tends to be the, the biggest aha, Matt. And students, students love that, by the way. They, they love it when they get it wrong. And then they realize <laughs> when they're wrong. And then they get it right. And, yeah. and sort of this. this uh, but that's business, right? But business is this idea of, of that we, we pull levers. And, and people that have gone before us have pulled these levers before us. And we, we have the answers. And. And that's, that's why case studies are so powerful because they essentially say, you're going to face these sim same challenges and problems. And, and we've pulled the levers and, and, and these are the levers that you need to be pulling. So Yeah. And I think, you know, for a student to, you know, the, again, the goal of a case, we're putting somebody, a student in the seat to, to act as a decision maker. Uh, 
you know, you've already mentioned before, you know, part of the thing that you like about writing cases is it's something that it's relevant and it's a, a skill set that a student going out to be a leader should uh, should have. And that this is a safe environment for students to test ideas, to test thinking, uh, you know, being in the classroom. I wanted I want to ask you what when I was reading it, there were so many nuanced pieces about, you know, mm. if you do this, then this might happen. You know, what if I did this, what's it going to mean for Costco? Uh, you know, there's the cultural context. And I remember one line saying that uh, uh, the protagonist was going to, you know, consider, uh, you know, some of the cultural things and how he would respond and actually had somebody else uh, <laughs> almost, uh, you know, whisper in the ear mm -hmm. of the person running the factory. I, I really love that. In the context of a supply chain um, discussion or, or a course or a classroom, how are you weaving in a topic like ethics? Like, do you have guests in talking about ethics? Do you do a primer uh, about ethics? And, you know, how do we define ethics? Because, you know, those could be two very different topics, supply chain and ethics. How are you managing that in the classroom? Yeah, that, that's a very good question and a challenging one to answer, right? Because here we get into multi-disciplines. Yeah. And, and my wheelhouse, fortunately, my, my wheelhouse is international business culture, which is a course I teach. I teach global negotiating, a course I teach. And I teach uh, intro to supply chain and operations management. So I, I would say the three main topics, other than ethics, let's leave ethics out of that for a minute, but those three topics are my wheelhouse. So I fe felt very comfortable in, in this particular setting. Now, let's get back to ethics. Um, again, BYU is sponsored by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So this idea of us being moral and ethical, it isn't so much a class that we take at BYU. It's talked about in every single classroom. We, we talk about, and this is uncomfortable for a lot of people, but the idea that... Um, we need to demonstrate Christ-like principles in our leadership in business. We need to be kind. We need to be thoughtful. We need to treat other people how they want to be treated. And so now let's get to the cultural piece of ethics, Matt, which is the more complex one, because that's how I would interpret ethics, right, and moral mm -hmm. behavior. But once we get out into the world, uh, whether we're here in the U.S. or whether we're in, in China or whether we're in the U.K., where I'm from, People, cultures, cultures represent themselves differently in business settings. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think uh, for the students, we can share uh, these ideas around what, what BYU business ethics are with the caveat that when you go in the world, other people may not view ethics or a, a correct business behavior the same way. And so... That's a real challenge, Matt, right? Uh, preparing students to be sort of um, uh, wise as, as a serpent, as a snake, but yet harmless as a dove, right? It's a real challenge when they haven't been actually in that context. So, I mean, that's a really good question that you ask, and it's got me thinking about how I should really teach the case. And I think there's an opportunity for people to teach this particular case to say, think about this, guys. The way that the supplier in China viewed the world was very different than Traeger viewed the world in America. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Think about that. What does that mean for you students? And, and really get some discussion flowing around that idea that people in the world view ethics different than we do. And, and that's a reality. And that's something we've got to be aware of. 
and you know getting comfortable with ambiguity and that you know you know what one culture or region might see that as ethical whereas another might see it as not ethical and for a student maybe that's the lesson is that you know there is gray area how do you wrestle with that internally how do you work within that to communicate and and run your run your business it's it's just fascinating like again the case is not very long if i if i recall it's about 7 pages in in uh, in content, not very long, but the the way the levers that you can pull as a facilitator in the classroom are are, are vast. Like yeah. for somebody picking this up that uh, maybe doesn't have your uh, teaching background or you know the, the experiences that you've had, you know any tips, anything that uh, they should be keeping in mind uh, or looking out for in the cases they look to pick it up and bring it to their classroom. They've been hooked by this <laughs> by you know your dialogue here today and want to want to try it out. You know what should they be looking out for? Yeah, yeah. I I mean, good good point, Matt. I think this case is it it is quite a complex case, but I think that's part of the the, the fun is is saying okay, there's lots of issues here what 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 do i want to focus on right what what do i want to teach my students and, and so i would say um if if you want to teach them about supply chain strategy then you could take the case that direction mm -hmm. right if if you want to take it if you want to simply look at culture right how how some um some businesses in the in different parts of the world act based on 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 their sort of cultural lens I, I think that's that's just fine too. If you want to take it from an, an ethics angle, you can take this from an ethics angle. I think the teaching note generally does lead you down that ethics road, right? And how to manage how to manage that that question around what do you do when a supplier takes your intellectual property, starts producing the product behind your back, and so forth. But but I, I would say this this case is rich enough for you to take it whatever direction you, you, you really want. I think you do need some resolution, though. I think the students mm -hmm. do need some resolution. So there is a snippet at the end of the teaching note that says, this is what happened, right? This is what happened at the end of the case. So uh, yeah, I think if you're relatively new to case teaching, this is great for culture, negotiating, supply chain strategy and ethics. I would say those would be the four categories you could run with. I really like that you mentioned that inclusion of what did happen. Uh, and in, I think it's a great tip for those who are, who are writing cases and, and teaching notes. You know, the inclusion of that does feel like a bit of a relief. Ugh, now we know what happened. So I, I really like that you mentioned and, and remind folks to include that in their teaching note. Uh, and, you know, diving off of that, the teaching note conversation, when you're writing a teaching note, you, you mentioned that you've been what, over a decade writing cases now. Uh, other things that you've evolved to include, uh, do's, do nots, uh, you know, from your experience of writing teaching notes specifically, any any other wisdom you can impart on the to the listener for, for writing teaching notes? Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, it's interesting because you don't want to be too prescriptive with with the teaching note at the same time teaching notes should be uh should be helpful so so for instance in my teaching note i, I tend to have a de definitely there's two elements that are needed number one is how typically should i approach this case with the students is, is it a is it a 60 minute discussion or is it a two class period discussion how long it will take uh, what are the questions that the students should answer before they come to class? Uh, what are maybe some questions you want to discuss in the class? So a basic uh, prescriptive framework 
on how long it will take and the questions, the preparation questions is great. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you you do want this is what happened at the at the end of the case, right? This is this is what the CEO or the COO did. Uh, and then give them sort of the next year. This this is what occurred over the next year. I, I think it's absolutely fascinating. I take my hat off to Traeger that Mark Kosiba, the COO, was able to navigate this the way that he did. Uh, he was able to get two new factories started in, in South China, and they were able to keep all of their suppliers happy. Enough for product on the boat during the summer to keep uh, sales healthy. And as we know, I think, uh, you may know, Traeger just... Uh, just went public, and so they're they're doing extremely well as a company, and 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 I think this case is is evidence of some great leadership. Yeah, and it'll be really interesting to see how the company continues to evolve. Uh, you know, from from one, you know, I've I've heard about it, I'm familiar with it. Uh, it's on my wish list, <laughs> uh, but it'll be really interesting to see how they continue to uh, continue to evolve. Now, for those that haven't had a chance to. To, to read the case yet, I encourage you go on the website, uh, register with us, uh, download an inspection copy because the, the narrative is fantastic. Um, what kind of access did you have to to the company? Uh, how open were they? This is obviously a very challenging situation. Uh, you know, how candid were they with you as a writer? And any other challenges pop up uh, as you were putting the, the case together? So, so uh, I sit on on, a, on an international trade board here in in the state of Utah, and uh, on that board uh, sat uh, the president of of Traeger, um, and so I got to know know him, and then of course more closely the COO as I created the relationship within the organization because I I'm sort of from a supply, international business supply chain background. And so uh, Mark Kosiba and I became good friends from that uh, trade group that we're both part of. Uh-huh. Uh, and then I sort of got a little bit involved. He, he, uh, he said, how can I help BYU? Mark's a Purdue grad. He's not a BYU grad. So again, this, this, he's not a BYU alum, but, but a friend to BYU. So uh, I asked if Mark could sit on the supply chain board at the Marriott mm-hmm. School. And so Mark sat on the board and we got talking and and he uh, he told me about what was going on with the company. Um, and I, I asked him, I said, would you be willing to write a case with me on this? And and he said, yeah. So so to your point earlier, Matt, you sort of this sphere of influence, right? Students, grad students, alum, uh, trade groups, you really extend this sphere of influence. And then you just keep listening, right? You listen for good stories. I, I suppose if I were to say what makes a good case, well, a good story makes a good case. Um, so that that would be a, that would sort of be a step one is this idea that that Mark and I had this intimate relationship. Um, we he sat on the board here at BYU, um, and and so I picked his brain, and he was just wonderful to work with. Uh, the the challenge is that cases aren't aren't written in a linear fashion. Mean, meaning, oftentimes mm-hmm. they're still unraveling in the background. When we started writing the case, they were in the midst of these negotiations with, ah, with the, this okay. supplier and so and so that's one of the challenges matt often when you write a case that is so uh, um relevant right is relevant to, to today then then it's not linear it's unraveling so you've sort of got to write and then you've got to go back and say oh there are a few extra things that i need to put in the case in order for the future context to make better sense mm. so i would say that was one of the biggest challenges was was having to just keep re- rewriting pieces in order to make sure that the 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 the, the narrative 
the pre-narrative made sense with some of the decisions that were were made moving forward. Um, so, uh, but otherwise, I mean, when you when you're working with good people, uh, things tend to work out. And and Mark uh, and Jonathan Richards, who also helped write the case. They, they, they're both guys that, that ride loose in the saddle, similar to me. They realize that uh, the case will, will never be perfect. Uh, it's, it's an iterative process. And so you've got to be patient with each other because you've all got other demands, right? I'm, I'm a full-time professor. Mark's, Mark at the time was a full-time COO. And so you be patient with each other. It's iterative. Um, and, uh, and eventually, hopefully, you have a good good case. Yeah, that is such a great... Uh, for those that are thinking about writing a case, that's a great reminder. It's you know the, the the need for patience, whether it be with the partners that you're working with on it, with the the narrative itself, allowing it to almost reveal itself and not push too hard, and just you know allow the case in some ways to just mm. uh, reveal itself. I, I love that. I love that sense. Yeah. And you know, one thing that was through what you just mentioned about the relationship that you had with the company and the individuals is that, you know, this case comes out of a very trusting relationship. They're going to mm. show you, be candid with you because they've gotten to know you and the institution and, and trust that what's going to come out uh, the other end of the case is something that they're going to be able to be proud of as well. So, you know, taking the time to develop those relationships uh, sounds to me like it was very uh, a, a huge point in being able to write this case. So uh, kudos to you. And because uh, this is, is a great narrative. Like I said, there's a lot of different ways that, that you can go about it as a, as a teacher in the classroom. Um, you know, as we look to to wrap up today, and again, thank you very much for, for the time uh, and so many tidbits from the three stars to the facilitating in the classroom, the, the cultural context and allowing, you know, students to direct the conversation in the classroom to what you just said around, you know, building a trusting relationship with your case partners. Is there anything else you wanted to leave, uh, particularly case writers with as they're looking to embark maybe on their on their first case? Boy, that that that's a question that could fill a couple of hours in and of itself, <laughs> Matt. But but before I answer, thank you so much, Matt, and and a big thank you to Ivy too. I, I am very grateful uh, for Ivy being a, a fantastic partner, and really, I wrote this down here that specifically Ivy has done a wonderful job at helping moderate and mediate some of my writing, meaning that sometimes I think as a case writer you you do get very involved. And, and Ivy's done a great job at, at making sure that what, what I'm saying is really what I, I want to be said. And so a uh, big thank you to Ivy for refining, I think, refining uh, me as a, as a case writer and, and helping me put a good product out there. So I, I think the most important part, for, most important thing for a case writer to remember is who is, is my customer? And the customer really is the student at the end of the day in the classroom. And thinking about the question, not so much what points do I need to get through as a professor, but what do the students need to understand and learn and experience and feel and breathe and voice in the classroom? It's successful when students at the end of the day are able to come back to you as a professor and say, I learned this, I did this. Not, you're a great professor, Professor Greathead. No, this is what I've learned. This is what I've got out of the class. And when students begin articulating 
really key learning, right? The points that you've wanted all along, but they voice it in their own voice, not in your voice as the professor. That's that's when I think that that we've we've sort of aligned the stars from a teaching and a learning perspective. So as a new case writer, my advice will be think about your customer, think about your student, think about how their mind thinks, how they perceive the world, and how they're going to interpret your case. Thanks, Matt. Simon, I think that's a great place for us to end up today. Thank you uh, again for your time. Uh, this will be a podcast that I revisit and, and send uh, along to my team and say, check out these points. Because this is why we do what we do at publishing. And then it's so great to connect with you. Um, I look forward to seeing your next case. Uh, I won't I won't ask what's what's in the hopper yet because I want to leave that as a surprise for <laughs> when it comes in. But thanks again for the time today. Thanks so much, Matt and Callum. I really appreciate you and your support. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's episode, subscribe to Decision Point on Spotify or wherever you listen. And be sure to check out the show notes for links to cases, resources, and more. Have any feedback? Send us an email at cases at iv.ca.